Hey guys, and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking about how you can cure your sciatica with exercise from home. We're going to talk about what's going on, what you need to do, and what to expect. Why with sciatica, sometimes you can get a little bit of confusion there. So hopefully you guys are going to find this really, really helpful. As always, if you are new to the channel, please do consider subscribing. We do these live streams every single weekday, and we always do Q&A today. It's no different. We're going to go through quite a few bits here today in this live stream. So if you've got any questions, you're watching this live or watching it after the fact post it in the comments below we've got Lara the other side of the camera she'll be reading those questions out as we get towards the end of the live stream maybe you've struggled with your sciatica or maybe you've had difficulty with certain exercises maybe you've been doing some of the wrong exercises that we're going to talk about a little bit later on let us know in the comments and we'll do our best to help you guys today with that being said let's get into today's live stream So sciatica, what is it? Uh, we've got a few drawings on the board that are really gonna help you guys understand it today. Uh, sciatica essentially is not, first of all, what it's not. It's not actually really a condition per se. It is a symptom more than anything else. And sciatica is caused by something. And in order for us to effectively treat and remedy our sciatica, we need to understand what is actually causing it. Because all that sciatica means is that something is pressing on the nerve, something is irritating those little rootlets of the sciatic nerve down at 4.5 and 5S1 in the lower lumbar region, basically where you're just underneath where your belt line is or just underneath your waist, so to speak. Um, so you're, we're gonna have something going wrong in that area, which is, which is irritating the origins of that sciatic nerve. That is all it means. And you can see with that as the diagnosis, much like stenosis, it doesn't really reveal what the real problem is. And if we don't know what the real problem is, if you've been to your GP or wherever, they said, you've got sciatica, see you later. Um, it doesn't really help you as a patient understand what you need to do to fix it. So hopefully we can really help you guys understand that. Now it can be caused by, as we've mentioned in previous videos, it could be some sort of disc bulge herniation, some sort of degenerative disc disease can lead to inflammation that irritates that nerve. It could be some minor strains or major strains to some of the ligaments around that spine, maybe some of the posterior ligaments, ligament flavum, some of those other ones. It could be some sort of facet irritation or it could be made worse by things like spondylitis and we've discussed each of these uh, in previous live streams and previous videos as well. But if you've got any questions as you're watching this right now, maybe on one of those specific um, diagnoses or injuries and how that can affect uh, your sciatica, then please do post in the comments below and we'll get to those towards the end of the live stream. The real thing we wanted to get into when it comes to sciatica is it's caused in part, or, or, or we need to have two, two real considerations. Number one is that let's just suppose you bend over forwards, um, putting your socks on in the morning and you just tear a little bit of that disc, it bulges back a little bit further and boom, straight onto the sciatic nerve uh, or the sciatic nerve root, and that causes you the pain. There, that specific example, we've, we've bent forwards, we've injured the disc, and it's literally bulged backwards and contacted, hit the sciatic nerve. And we get that pain down the back of the leg, uh, maybe part of the way or all of the way, uh, coming from that, that, that injury site and the contact on that nerve. But many people will go into their GP or their doctor or their chiropractor, whoever it is, and have sciatic symptoms, 
but then they have an MRI and it comes back, there's no direct neural compression onto that nerve from the disc. And in that scenario, it's more the buildup of inflammation in a confined space around this nerve here that is causing the symptoms. And that gives us a very confusing picture because we'll say, oh, well, if I lean forwards for a few moments or if I slouch in the chair, I get a little bit of relief, but then it starts to build up and it becomes painful after a while. Or I'm okay when I get up, but then as soon as I straighten up, I get pain. Or it may be if I try and lift a box, I get pain. Well, both of those movements are different. They have different qualities to them and we're getting pain at different times as different uh, functions or different events are occurring. One of which we're getting pain as we bend forwards and compress and irritate those structures more. The other with a slightly lesser compression, say for example, if we sit down in a certain position, the process of opening out the space here leads to a temporary alleviation of symptoms, but the consequences of that allow them to build up. So what happens for this patient, especially the sciatic patient, because nerve pain can be so debilitating, especially if it's there so frequently or so unpredictably, is that we just shy away from everything. I'm just, I can't move. I don't know which way to go. I think I'm making it worse, uh, you know, and it really can bother people in that way because you just feel so helpless. You literally have no idea what to do because everything is, is runs a propensity for giving you that sort of sharp shock of pain. So it really does put you in a difficult position. And what we wanna to do today in the live stream is give you guys a bit of reassurance around the academics around this sort of thing, this sciatica, and help you understand and pass out the the, the acti activities or the actions that are going to make your sciatica worse, the cause of your sciatica worse, and those activities that actually are gonna get you better but may be painful in the first instances when you're doing them. So the first thing we wanna think about is that neutral position of the lumbar spine that natural lordosis that we should have through that lumbar spine. And, con and, and, and in contrast to this, the natural position that a lot of people get into when they have that sciatica is going to be that forward bending posture. You're slightly slouched. Actually, the process of, like we mentioned two live streams ago, standing up straight against the wall is going to be painful. So a lot of you are gonna be leaning forwards, but we want to try and get this spine back to this neutral position. Now, what happens, we've got a few drawings on the side here, and the main area that we're gonna get that irritation is when this nerve here is gonna be compressed through the space getting smaller. In a lot of you, I mentioned earlier in this live that it's inflammation building up in this area, not necessarily just that disc bulging or that ligament hitting the, the actual nerve that's gonna cause the symptoms. And you see this, small is, uh, this hole is relatively small here as it should be, it should be that particular height. Now there are other instances where it might get smaller, but that's the neutral normal position of the lumbar spine with a bit of a backward bend going through it. That's an important starting point. But many of you with sciatica will not be in that position either in the short term, or maybe you've had sciatica for a little bit longer, you've had repeated episodes and they've gone away but come back, and you're stuck in one of these two positions, either flexed or very flexed. This is when you're really bent over forwards. And what happens is as you bend forwards, this hole gets larger. And the hole gets larger, but we also squash down on the disc more and more and more, which if we have a disc component to the problem, or we have ligaments on the back here that are injured, or even the facet joints are strained a little bit, it's going to put strain on those structures that are injured, but it's making the hole larger. So if you've been wandering around like this for an extended period, you're gonna allow a lot more inflammation to build up in that area before you get symptoms. So then the moment you go to straighten back up and make the hole back to a normal size, the amount of inflammation that's there is gonna be confined into a smaller, a smaller space and if we imagine we have a sponge that's got water in it as we squeeze that sponge in the inflammation the fluid is going to remove itself 
Well, in this particular scenario, we have a bony border. So the fluid doesn't have anywhere to go. In, in, immediately, it's going to compress that nerve and you'll get the jolting pain. But you're moving yourself from a bad position to a safe position and experiencing some pain there, which can really throw you. And that's why we need to understand the mechanics and the, 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 the actual what, what's injured in that back. And that we do need to move to a normal position. It's okay to get a little bit of pain when we do this. There are ways to make it easier, which I'll get into later. But understanding that a lot of that forward bending, why does it feel better maybe when we sit down immediately but get worse? Because we might go from this position and when we slouch, we open out that space and it's creating more space for that inflammation. This is the principle behind a lot of those exercises like knee hugs that many of you will be given, like sciatic of flossing, uh, sciatic nerve flossing, those sorts of exercises that directly open out that space. All it's doing is making the hole bigger. Well, of course, the, the symptoms are going to abate in the moment that you do that because you're reducing the pressure in that confined space. But that is not a long-term strategy because what's also happening is you're creating more compression and more driving back of this uh, nucleus to create more irritation of these, which then will slowly inflame and swell back up again a couple of hours later, maybe the next day, and then you're in a worse situation and you feel like you need to do that exercise again. So we want to try and avoid those exercises which move us further away from a neutral position in the spine. That's quite an important principle because they may feel good at the time. Some of them won't, but depending on your personal symptoms, but they will actually be making you worse for the long term. So we want to restore you to a neutral position. What do you need to do? We've already touched on it, restore to a neutral position. And this is what we talk, what we talk about in our back in shape. If you have limitations in the lumbar spine, we've got an injury down there. We want to try and protect it and hold it in the best possible position as frequently as possible. And that does unfortunately involve you standing up straight. But as we've gone through this, hopefully you can start to see that standing up straight is going to be much, much more favorable, even though it's a little bit painful. Uh, initially to get up there than standing crooked, leaning over or doing other forward bending exercises. And it's something that there, in that instance, we have to go through a little bit. Maybe you've tried this, maybe you're watching this right now and you've had the back pain. You're one of, one of the guys in our membership, uh, for example, post in the comments if you've tried this before and you've been through this process of it being painful when you stand up, but then after a period of time, it starts to get easier because it is something that a lot of people go need to go through, but many just stop short and they don't actually get to get past the point at which it's becoming painful to being able to do it effortlessly. And that gets you out of the trap of being stuck in this position all the time. We also want, while we're in a position of tissue damage and inflammation, and there's a lot of injury going on down in the, in the lower back, we want to keep our hips nice and flexible. And that's one of the other things we talk about in the back in shape, doing safe stretches for our hip muscles, our hip joints to keep them as mobile as possible. And then we have the final, the towel exercise, which we recommend. And this is the one, I saw a comment on one of the YouTube videos the other day, a lady saying, I tried the towel exercise once or, or, and, and it hurt, so I didn't do it again. Is there another exercise that can be, um, can be suggested instead? And the answer is really not really. Because what's happening is this person, I suspect, is most likely in this position here. And the process of even going back to less flexed is going to be painful, not because it's making the problem worse, but because it is making that hole a little bit smaller. And if we can do strategies like combining icing with the towel or maybe a smaller towel to help 
to a lesser degree restore this raw doses, maybe not go from here to here, but here to here, and then here to here, slowly over the course of a week or so, it will make it an awful lot easier for you. And if you've tried the towel before, maybe you found it difficult, post in the comments below, let other people know, because with these sorts of things, especially things like sciatica and chronic back pain, you do feel quite a lot like you're on your own, like no one else is really experiencing this or knows what you're going through and actually seeing other people trying these exercises and having done them, maybe they were difficult for three or four days, but now it's better. It really, really helps, you know, encourage you to do the right things that ultimately get you better because it can be a lonely place. So what should you expect? If you're doing these sorts of exercises correctly, it's not gonna go away immediately. The big problem with back pain and sciatica is that it's generally going to be a long, consistent assault on your lumbar spine with seemingly innocuous activities, slouching at the desk for long periods, etc., etc., uh, lifting incorrectly, uh, poor posture on a daily basis that continually put load on our spine over the long term. And then we have a one off event that maybe just is the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, to excuse the phrase. It's just that extra little bit that was just too much. And many of you, if you've worn trousers um, that are a little bit too tight, you've bent over, you've heard a little rip and you go, well, what was that? Okay, everything's okay, but you've ripped some of the smaller fibers in the trouser seam and then you bend over again, same bend and boom, the whole thing splits. It's similar in your back. You'll get those little micro tears from this constant assault, which won't necessarily be painful. But then that one event is just the last one that gets it to become a problem. And part of that, as we've discussed once or twice before, is because we have a very poor neurological understanding of what is going on inside our discs. So we don't really know that they're becoming injured until they've been quite injured. It doesn't get, the message doesn't get up to here because ordinarily as a human being interacting with an external environment, we don't really need to know what's happening in our discs. We need to know what's happening in our fingers and on our face. So we have a lot of nerve endings here to really understand what's going on. But it's not until something really goes a whack down here that we actually get made aware of it. And by then we've built up a lot of practices reason I go down that little rabbit hole is because you're not going to do these exercises once and feel better. You're not going to do the ice once and feel better. You're not going to stretch your legs once and feel better. You're going to have to do this consistently and make those necessary changes outside of these exercises that will and that will have a cumulative effect against the cumulative buildup that you've been developing unwittingly maybe over many many years so really worth bearing that in mind these things don't fix on a, on a one-off occasion we need cumulative um, cumulative approaches like doing the towel regularly like doing what we call the phase one routine regularly and then ultimately once we've got to a point where we can move around the house a little bit more in spite of the sciatica we want to start building up some strength and protection for this structure down here so that we can reduce the likelihood of it being injured again and that is really really important so that's pretty much it for me talking about sciatica we'll go over to your questions and if you've got any specific questions on anything we've mentioned we'll get into those now and give you guys some more guidance okay brilliant good morning everybody yes we are here to help so if you do have any questions uh, just pop them below in the comments i've got a couple of questions coming through about spinal injections um just starting off uh, do spinal injections have a benefit on back pain so there are two um reasons you might have a spinal injection when we're talking about back pain uh, this is normally communicated to you guys um, by your necessary surgeon uh, whoever it may be uh, but the number one is they are doing it to try and relieve the pain at the time and number two is they might be doing it from a diagnostic point of view which would coincide with point number one they want to figure out if we inject the facet if we inject the disc etc um, 
is that going to alleviate this person's symptoms? If no, oops, we've got the wrong bit. If yes, okay, maybe we need, maybe if, if they don't get better, then we can do some sort of surgery to remove that bit because we know that is the bit that when we shut it down with the injection, the pain went away. So it kind of helps them be more, more uh, effective uh, in their in their, in their subsequent surgery potentially. So it's worth bearing that in mind. Um, they may not ever have expected the injection to relieve your back pain permanently. They may have just been doing it from a diagnostic point of view, but generally all the good guys are gonna explain that to you so you fully understand that as a patient. But ultimately <laughs> the biggest gripe that I personally have with, with injections is they're not solving the problem. And, and the injection, if you were to do an injection in the lower back, it's going to reduce the inflammation here. So maybe you can do these exercises more effectively. Generally speaking, the doctor will say, I'm going to do these injections, but you must do the rehab. But that sometimes is where it stops. And because there's not that continuation of the, the, the person who understands your problem, giving you the necessary rehabilitation, it can sometimes be a little bit lost in translation. And therefore you end up going down the roots of doing exercises that maybe aren't correct uh, or that maybe aren't um, done at all. Sometimes it's a case of you've gone into your NHS appointment and they say, hey, I'm going to do the injection now go and book in your appointment for physio, you book in your appointment for physio, and the physio appointment is after the follow-up with your inject with your, for, with your doctor in six months. So that is also a big failure of the system. But generally, if it's done privately, you're gonna be sent straight over to a physio and you've gotta do those, ex well, the exercises now. Some of the exercises that a lot of people recommend are counter to what we would suggest. So it's important to bear that in mind. There's a lot of knee hugs being recommended, etc., which we fundamentally disagree with, but at least the, the acceptance that we do the injection and then you need to do some sort of rehabilitation to deal with the problem is generally something that is um, explained to patients. So that's that's pretty much where I'd go with injections. Okay, brilliant. Um, YouTube comments, I will get to you. Um, Sally is asking about a different type of uh, injection. She actually had a lumbar drain, which I believe would be for the CV, uh, cerebrospinal yep. fluid. So she says, I had sciatica after a lumbar drain uh, for 48 hours following brain surgery 12 years ago. Um, is my back likely to have recovered fully from the irritation that the, that the drain would have caused? I've not had sciatica down my right leg since, um, but I do have discomfort in my glutes following my recent injury. So I'm guessing this is different and unrelated. It's like the time frame is it's likely to be unrelated, generally speaking. Um, that sort of spinal tap is, is there obviously to monitor the outcome of the surgery up top, which is 100%. Sometimes we have to go through these, these procedures that are, you know, okay, you might get a bit of back pain afterwards, but it's really important we get this thing right. Um, so that, I'm, I'm hoping that will have been communicated to you, Sally, at the time. Um, but with regards to this, it's plausible um, that there's a little bit of scar tissue in that area, it's depending on how long you've had that area disrupted while you've had the tap in there. Um, and therefore, it may well be a slight weak point that we need to manage, so to speak, and, and we need to be a little bit stronger than the average, we need to be a little bit more flexible in the hips than the average, and that's something that you wanna be working on over the coming months and years to make sure that that remains the case, that you are a little bit stronger and slightly more flexible than the average in the long term. We build up certain parts of that sooner rather than others, so I'd say building up the strength is really, really quite important. But fundamentally, in terms of the relation to the glute pain, it's the similar sort of region that's gonna be irritated. Remember, if we irritate, let's suppose this is the 
core five segment uh, here and we're, we're, we've irritated that nerve in the past. We've had trauma to that segment, the soft tissues that support and protect that segment. There's going to be a little bit of scar tissue there. Now that could give you the sciatic pain all the way down the leg on the left hand side. It could give you the sciatic pain all the way down the leg on the right hand side. It could just give you glute pain. It could just give you that back pain along the back. It really depends on the minutiae of detail in here with regards to which exactly little bit of nerve is being irritated and the reality is that's too small for anyone to meaningfully intervene there so we don't want to get caught up too much on that we want to really understand more that there is an injury here which is likely to be more of a fresh injury given that time scale and that as we reduce the inflammation down there and strengthen up the tissues around mm -hmm. there it's going to resolve okay i'm just going to quickly jump across to youtube dane has said morning guys i'm trying to move morning. on from phase one to phase two but i'm unable uh, the strength exercises are okay but the stretching in the towel is almost impossible as it's too painful how should i proceed all due to l5 l4 l5 disc herniation with intense sciatica still can't walk longer than five minutes and going on for five months now right yeah. dane needs a bit of help yeah so what what's what's happened here most likely if we've got the disc herniation you're definitely not bending backwards too far that that's 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 a given because you can't um but we're probably stuck in this position and we see this in the clinic we have people that come in and they're kind of over like that if you if you have or are in this position and you can't even stand up next to the against the wall it's, it's something you're gonna to have to go through. You're going to have to work to slowly get, get up to the point where we can lie over the towel. Um, a smaller towel would be a would definitely be a, a starting point for you. The exercises when you're doing those, having a little bit of support under the lumbar spine with a smaller towel, even you know, sort of that sort of size, just so we've got a little bit of a curve there to stop us putting excess pressure through that lumbar spine. The stretches we need to be very, very specific with in terms of when we're bending, we want to bend from the from from the hip not the spine all too often when you're in that when you've got that sort of long-standing disc herniation we're going to be bending from oh Lara, if you pass me the model yeah. um, we're going to be bending in the wrong way mentally habitually so it's going to take quite a lot of effort to bend from here like so when we're doing say the hamstring stretch okay we're doing the little hamstring stretch all too often we'll see you guys do that Okay, uh, in, inside the um, premium membership there in the Facebook group and in the backinshapeapp.com section in the uh, Q&A library, there's additional variations on the stretches to help you stretch in a little bit more of a comfortable way so you're not loading the back a little bit more at that L4-5. But what I would say is possibly doing a little bit more of the icing a little bit more regularly to try and get that inflammation down here because you're most likely stuck in this sort of position. And we need to get you back to that position as soon as possible because this is just stopping the recovery process occurring effectively. So do persevere. I know one thing that's helped with a lot of members in the past has been starting off with a slightly smaller towel for the towel exercise for two, three minutes or one, two minutes and slowly building it up from there. That can be a real help as well. And also everyone, more or less everyone, will find the towel painful while they're doing it, especially at the start, and uncomfortable for a few minutes afterwards, maybe 10, 15 minutes afterwards. But we must keep a nice straight spine as we get off the towel, no bending forwards after we've done it. We have heard some members doing um, in the early days, uh, when they finish the towel, they get off and they do child's pose. Well, that's completely eliminated the reason for uh, the, the benefit of doing that. So please eliminate anything that sounds like that uh, from what you're doing after the towel. Get that eye straight on, walk around in the most upright position possible, and that's going to be the best way forwards. 
Okay, awesome. And Dane, just to give you a little bit more confidence, we have had Sally and Alex Sparks both comment, just saying, Sally, initially, even a small towel was really uncomfortable, but I've persevered, and three months later, I rolled that bath towel. is great relief, yep. followed by ice, um, which is great. And Rita said, uh, PS to Sally, I too found the towel very painful at first um, at the lower lumbar region, was terribly sensitive, now a lot better, and the towel is a relief. So yeah, there you it, go, Yeah, it is something to look forward to. Do hang in there. Um, but with those L4-5 issues, especially when they've been going on for a long period of time, we really want to take an honest reflection on, are we stuck in this position? And if we are, we've got to get that out. We have to get that position out because it is not helping us at all in the healing process. And you're just allowing yourself to build up so much inflammation here that even straightening up is going to be painful, let alone uh, you know, lying on the towel in a normal position for the spine. So it is some, it's one of those ones where it's uncomfortable, but we've got to try and persevere. And if you've got any imaging or anything like that, then that, that'll help you understand, uh, particularly with x-rays, what is going on in, in more detail. Yeah, for sure. I hope that helps, Dane. Um, <clears throat> just going back through the comments here, Alex Bart said, um, I've had sciatica symptoms for some time. Initially, the symptoms were very painful, some electric shock sensation. Subsequently, I recently, uh, uh, sorry, I experienced a lot of buzzing or tingling in the legs. Was this a sign of improvement or simply were the nerves starting to die off? Uh, one leg had an odd sort of cold feeling, um, not quite numbness. Again, this, is this a good sign or a bad sign? Can you repeat that? The whole thing? The first bit. <laughs> okay, uh, so she had some sciatica symptoms mm -hmm. for some time. Mm -hmm. Initially, the pain, uh, the symptoms were very painful with electric shocks. Subsequently, experiencing a lot of buzzing and tingling. Mm -hmm. Was this a sign of improvement or simply that the nerves are dying off? So I would I would definitely go with the not the nerves are dying off not that one okay uh, if those signal if those symptoms are, are, are dying down a little bit and we're getting more of the tingling and the buzzing as opposed to the searing shooting pain I would suggest that is going to be a good thing uh, but keep an eye on things do, do keep an eye on things if you're getting the re reduction in the frequency of that searing uh, searing pain uh, and and we are just left with those sort of tingles and buzzing then I would say that's a good thing. And we also, in the clinic, we do tend to find that patients, if they've got pain going all the way down their leg, as they make improvement, the pain sort of starts to yeah, go from a... the ankle to the knee and then work its way back up. Yeah, there's, a, there's the another concept that's worth actually talking about when we talk about sciatica, which is the centralization of those, uh, of those nerve irritations. And another one for Dane here, um, quite often with sciatica in the clinic, when we're doing things like the IDD therapy, etc., and as, as the patient's body is healing and as they are getting better, you do find, not in all cases, I would say maybe about 70% of cases, that the pain that was going all the way down the leg starts to recede slowly back up the leg and then you end up with just this aching in the back and that's the last thing to go. That is something that is a very common uh, occurrence with discogenic um, uh, sciatic type symptoms because it's just, it's just, it's just the process of centralization of, of, of the pain and then it's the lower back pain that goes last. Okay, brilliant. And um, Rita has asked here, I don't get sciatic pain, but I do get pins and needles, may, uh, mainly on my lower right leg. What is the cause of this, please? So that I would, I would classify that in this sort of sciatica bucket to just to help you guys understanding that because 
quite often you get it on sort of the, the outside of the shin area or it might be sometimes that it goes on the sort of the side of the lower leg down in the ankle into the foot sometimes you get on the big toe as well this sort of sometimes people will describe it as a sort of a burning a burning pain in that area of the shin and that is same thing up here it's just a different we have to remember that these bundles I've, I think I've, I think I drew it out once before uh, these bundles of nerves, I mean, we draw it here and when you see it on the diagrams, it's just one big circle. But there's loads and loads of little little nerve roots in, or little nervelets inside there, little axons. And some of those are going to transmit inform, uh, information pertaining to sharp touch, so pain. Some of them are going to transmit sensation of fine touch and vibration. And, and, and that's where the numbness and the buzziness uh, can sometimes, or the, the fuzziness can come from. Some of them are going to transmit power. I know some of the guys in the back in shape of loss of power, but they may not have any pain in that region. So there's much more complicated than one nerve. It is, a, it is a cable, like a fiber optic cable, sending lots of different sensations and functions down the end of that nerve. And that's what, what really confuses patients. Plus the fact that it may, the pressure may hit here, but the way in which these tissues deform, it may be that the, the greatest deformation of tissue uh, of the nerves is over here. So it's not necessarily where it's contacting. And that's just to do with the mechanics. As we shear a load, it creates the most force in a different area rather than the contacted point. So you could experience lots of different symptoms and it may be that the inflammation is just slightly changing a little bit in that area in terms of where exactly it's contacting that nerve. So we have a slightly different setup. But down in that shin area, again, it's going to come from that 4-5, uh, depending if it goes a little bit lower, that 5-S1 region. Okay, awesome. Um, Alex Vesco also replying to Rita. Uh, he said, good question. I have a feeling that many people have sciatica without realizing they have it. I think I've had sciatica for much longer before it became typical and unmistakable. Yeah, that's a good worth worthwhile mentioning there, Alex, because commonly uh, the, the, the true sciatica is going to be that whole way down the leg along the entire distribution of the sciatic nerve. But for, when we think of sciatica, it's just an irritation of the sciatic nerve or its rootlets. The same process is fundamentally taking place, whether it's a little bit of uh, fuzziness or burning uh, pain in the shin on the outside, or whether it's those hamstrings contracting up, that the process, the treatment of that is going to fundamentally need to adhere to the same principles. It's going to be take pressure off the injured structure that may not be as injured as someone else with the shooting all the way down the leg. And... And, and then help move the spine back to a normal position and help strengthen up the area. It's not too different depending on what we have. People will often use the diagnosis of sciatica more readily nowadays to just describe anything that goes down the leg that's coming from the back. But really, we should refer that maybe as, as, as lumbogenic leg pain might be a more accurate diagnosis. I'm um, just going back to Alex Fox. I'm not sure whether we 100% um, answered the last bit uh, mm. when she mentioned one leg had an odd sort of cold feeling, not quite numbness. So would that be more of a sort of blood supply or would that be a nerve? It could potentially be a blood supply. Yeah. Um, if there's an issue with thermoregulation or if there's an issue with circulation into the leg, um, depending on what positions that we're adopting. You might have a little bit of stretch or a little bit of compression on the femoral artery as it runs down the front of the thigh uh, through what's called the femoral triangle, which is basically in the groin area. As it comes down through here, we might get a little bit of occlusion or pressure on that on that blood circulation, which could be giving a cold sensation. Mm. Um, that could be another one. 
I don't think she still has it. She was talking about it in the past oh, okay. tense. So okay. it might, you know, it might be that you're sitting yeah. in a funny position or One thing, or... actually, uh, pre- pregnant ladies will sometimes get this as well. As the as the baby starts to put pressure on the femoral uh, artery, that can occlude the artery and you get a little bit of tingling, a little bit of numbness it, uh, going down the legs. The same way if we kind of uh, put pressure on the, the brachial artery as it comes down the arm, maybe when you're reading or other things, it cuts off the circulation. Uh, and that can also freak you out as well. So it's important to get the diagnosis. Is it vascular occlusion or is it irritation of nerves that's giving you that tingling okay. or cold sensation? Okay, great. Cheryl has uh, said here, um, I've had several injections now, different areas, but... I have never been given rehab exercises, so glad I found your program now. Um, I've had so much bad information over the last 15 years. I suffer with sciatica all the time. Yeah, I, it really is, uh, you know, unfortunate, Cheryl. You're not you're not the only person to suffer with that. It, it, it's, it really is frustrating from our point of view because it just doesn't need to be like that. And obviously, if you're having corticosteroids, they are going to affect the tensegrity of the soft tissues in that area. That's widely researched, especially looking into more superficial tissues like the supraspinatus and the Achilles tendon. It does create the propensity to increase the strain on that area. And if you as a patient now don't have the inhibition of pain, because some movements like we discussed, some when you get pain, when you do the movement, it's not bad, but others, when you get pain, when you do the movement, it is bad. And if you don't have that signal coming to your brain because everything's been numbed for the last six weeks, you could be unwittingly doing the wrong exercises. And if you're left to your own devices and, and, and you're having to trawl through the internet to try and find the right sort of exercises to do, you might come across some of the wrong ones, like the knee hugs, which is unfortunately quite likely. And therefore we're pulling the knees, pulling the knees, and we're actually taking a weakened ligament that's weakened because it's in and now we can because it's been subjected to corticosteroids and we're stretching it out even more you know it, it, it's it's really frustrating that you guys don't get more support when you do go for these procedures because it sh- you should be and that's just standard protocol um, okay. and it's not like it's it's abnormal it's not like it's abnormal you should be getting that advice anyway Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Um, a question here from Alex Vesco. Uh, right, so he he writes, "Good morning, Michael. My surgeon is planning to morning, remove." Ligament overgrowth in the facet joints, which he thinks yep. is the principal cause of my sciatica. Mm-hmm. Do you think this will create instability or will the main structural ligaments be preserved and so provide stability and integrity uh, of the facet joints? So Good I, question. So I think what Alex is talking about here, and maybe worth, so these are obviously a very bad drawing of the facet joint, okay? But essentially we've got a facet joint, much like your knee joint really, they're very, very similar in the way in which it works. And you have the capsule, which has capsular ligaments. And what I think Alex is saying, and please do correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex, is that these have hypertrophied around here, and that would make sense because that would mean it would be occupying more of this space here and therefore reducing the available space. Plus, if we have things like a spondylolisthesis, then we need to consider that's also going to uh, be a combination. Now, the honest answer is I would suspect it's likely not to massively weaken the area, but I'm not 100% sure because it it would depend on how much they remove. And we also have to bear in mind, and this is a valid discussion, and I think from what I understand, we're having some flexion extension x-rays being done anyway. But if they were to shave off this little bit here, it would restore it back to its normal size, and therefore, the ligament will be back to normal, if that makes sense, and not hypertrophied. It may be, and this is what we don't know, and I would encourage, this is this is really important that you ask these sorts of questions because we want to have these discussions with your, your physician, and then he should give you an honest answer. But 
it may be that those ligaments had been like that and they'd hypertrophied back when the spondylolisthesis really started taking effect as it was sliding forwards. And now they're not under the same stress because that's st stabilized, the spondylolisthesis is stabilized, and therefore that extra hypertrophied ligament is no longer necessary. In which case, if we removed a bit of it, it may all just go back to its normal strength and stability and that would be fine. Now we've got a larger spinal canal, or rather a, 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 lar a larger exit foramina for the nerve to leave, and we're gonna be okay. That could be the case, or it could be, and I don't know, that it's still got some role in providing support and stability. You have to remember, hypertrophy is there as a reaction. It could also be, though, that it's, there's a chemical reaction to, in that area, and it's just a reaction to that, like swelling, for example, if you got stung by a bee. It's not really causing any, um, it's not aiding any function, that presence of that hypertrophy. It's only a problem in an irritation. And I think your surgeon will be able to clarify whether he believes that it's aiding the stability of that segment or whether it's just an unnecessary reaction and is null and void and is only serving to occupy that space unnecessarily and therefore removing part of, not all of, that excess growth uh, will be able to access uh, hypertrophy will just create more space and be of no consequence to you. No uh, negative consequence. He, he has said exactly his description, the, the consultants. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, so is it, okay. I think he said exactly what you okay. said in terms of the description of what's going on with the, yeah. with the facets and the ligaments, which is great. Yeah, so, you know, on, on the surface of it, if he's, well, he's explained to you, I imagine, in more detail as to why than, and the, the, the benefit and reward or cost and benefit model around that particular procedure. Originally, when you mentioned the laminectomy, what they sometimes do is if we look at the vertebra from the back, um, we have the lamina, which has the facet joints on the top, and this is the, the bit we poke in the middle, and it looks something like that. And then we've got the disc, the, the, the vertebral body would be in front, so we're looking from behind, and they just take this bit off, um, which, is, which is much more severe. We see it sometimes on x-rays, it makes you double take, because you go down the spine and you see the bits that stick out, and then all of a sudden there's a missing bit. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're not having that one, because that, I, I, that, that's a pretty invasive one. Okay, brilliant. I hope you guys can see the board there. Yeah, the yeah. Drawing. Sorry, yeah. It helps if I don't sit in the way of it, doesn't it? I'm drawing for myself here. This isn't for you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay, uh, so Kate has... I hope, hope that helps you, uh, Yeah, I hope that does help, Alex. Um, Kate has said here, uh, by going through the phase one and into phase two, how long does it take for the sciatica to calm right down? I still get the burning pain down the front of my leg and foot. In terms of going, say that again. Sorry. So by going through the phase one mm -hmm, and phase mm -hmm. two, how long does it how long does it take for the sciatica okay. to calm right down? That does depend, mm -hmm. and it's not it's not a good answer, unfortunately. But it does depend. It depends on a number of things. Um, but to give you guys a clue, and I know this is actually a really good question because it applies to the back pain as well. If, for example, we go from phase one into phase two, and let's just suppose it's the dead bugs. If we can only do one or two or three reps of the dead bugs and after two or three weeks we've built up to three or four or five reps of the dead bugs or maybe 10 reps of the dead bugs but we cannot do maybe four sets or five sets in a meaningful time zone then we just don't have the stability in that area so it's really a case of how we, we need to get through to the to the point where we're able to do these exercises in in a comfortable manner and they're not too much of a challenge and push on so i'd say you really need to be able to do that sort of uh five by ten or five by fifteen comfortably and moving into phase three before things should really be uh, it's much much more subdued but it does depend on the individual as well it's how long have we had it how much scar tissue there is there what other issues do we have 
But in terms of going, moving straight into phase two, it can take a little bit longer because if we don't have the support to effectively wiggle our leg whilst lying on our back, how on earth is our spine going to have the support it needs to be upright and functioning on a daily basis? So um, it's not, not the best answer, unfortunately, for that one. Um, but it's, it's sort of as long as it takes for you to get an appropriate level of strength and stability and an appropriate or acceptable level of strength and stability for a human being is not gleaned in phase two. It, it's worked towards in phase two, but we need to go beyond that. Okay. Hope that helps. What you should definitely notice is as you move through the phase two and into the phase three, you find that the symptoms do improve. And then it's a case of mapping that out and saying, right, they've improved by 10, 15%. As I've got 20% stronger or 30% stronger, we need to carry on in that direction. And that's the trajectory that we want to look for. We want to, it's better for you to get an individual answer for you is how do things change as you go through? And that allows you to predict how they will continue to change going forwards. Um, Alex Vesco has said I used to get sciatica doing the phase one and phase two when doing them in the morning when still had some of the overnight edema but less or zero sciatica if I start the exercise later in the day after walking yeah so that's one tip. yeah no that's a really that's a really relevant point because um, when we wake up in the morning our discs are, or the, the everything's been pumped into those discs and into that area we maybe have like Alex says a bit of extra edema in that area as well which is going to be problematic and as we go through the day we slowly dehydrate those discs because of the load of gravity in the area becomes a little less primed that's why so often people with a very innocuous bending over to put the sock on it's in the morning that they've done it and they flare that back up um, so really this is maybe another one uh, for the question earlier is that look at different times of the day some people I know do it right before bed and maybe that's not necessarily the best thing and other people do it first thing in the morning and maybe it does work for them unlike in Alex's case um, so really we normally recommend doing it in the middle of the day if that's possible just because that tends to be the one that works best for most people uh, but adjust the times of day that we're doing it that's really really important and also pay attention to the natural ebbs and flows we talk about that treat uh, protocol for analyzing any changes or any progressions in our rehab process and it's worth even with with the progression through the back in shape program going through into phase two and on into phase three evaluating the pain in the context of its normal day-to-day -day patterns you may still have a severe flare-up but is that happening once a week instead of once an hour those sorts of things allow you to evaluate the process and the progress more effectively okay awesome i've got another question here from ollie he said why is it that some people get pain down both legs but some only get the pain down the one is there more damage if you feel it going down both legs not necessarily. Um, it, it really is very difficult to go based on symptoms. Generally, you will say if you're getting pain that's shooting down both legs at the same time consistently and we have any sort of saddle anesthesia, saddle anesthesia is basically the area of your body that would be in contact if you were to sit on a saddle. If that is numb and we've got any loss of bladder and bowel control, then we want to head over to A&E if we have any of those symptoms. But sometimes things can swap from one side to the other. They might be more on one side than the other. Um, I wouldn't get too much caught up, caught up too much in those sorts of things because really the only way to adequately establish how severe is the actual tissue damage is to get some imaging done. Mm. Um, because we've got things like pain thresholds, all those other sorts of things that can come into the mix to mean that one person who may be coming in on crutches may have a substantially lesser injury than someone who walks into the clinic. We've had people walking in with grade three and grade four spondylolisthesis saying I've got a bit of back pain. Um, <laughs> literally, uh, some of you will know what that is but 
their L5, one guy in particular I think of, was there. I mean, how stable is that? This vertebrae kind of deformed, so it was like that. But that was the step that was there. It was about to flip and fall off. It was, it was shocking when I saw the x-ray. But that's the importance of doing imaging. It's not necessarily the level of pain that is going to indicate the level or severity of the injury. And therefore, I, I, I do think that we don't have x-ray vision. We don't see, uh, we can't see everything. And, and imaging, although others will disagree, my personal opinion around that is that they disagree because they want a, a reason not to have to get you to go and see someone else or get 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 any additional information information always helps us better understand what your body's going through and as i've said before you wouldn't ask a plumber to come around and quote your uh, your repairs in your bathroom and tell them to stand at the front porch and give you a quote you'd get them to get in there have a look at the plumbing with their eyes hands on not stood on the driveway going hmm well, it looks like it looks like this is going to be five hundred pounds, or whatever the case may be. So it's a bit of a facetious example, but it is something that that really does frustrate me because it gives us so much information, and and more importantly, it allows you as a patient to understand your own body. And you live with this every single day. You live with your back every single day. If you don't understand how to use it effectively, you're going to get trouble. The same way any other mechanical device, if you don't use it correctly because you don't understand how to use it, you're going to really struggle. So that's why we do these live streams as well. That's why we put these videos out to hopefully help you guys better understand your own bodies. Okay, awesome. Um, Alex Sparks has asked about the hypertrophy. Is this, the ligament structure weaker, i.e. the fibers are tangled and not straight? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I wouldn't 100% know. If it was scar tissue hypertrophy, then they definitely are going to be tangled. They're not going to be uniform. But if it's if it's a naturally occurring hypertrophy, it may well be that they are actually uniform. If it's occurred slowly over a longer period of time, uh, so for example, with something like spondylolisthesis, it can slowly slip over a period of time and not necessarily be symptomatic. You won't feel it. Um, again, there's an example there that I just mentioned, but I've also had other examples in the clinic where you get people coming in for a checkup and they have these sorts of issues going on and they're not aware of them. Now, the hypertrophy, if it's happened slowly over a period of time, I would, be, would not be surprised if those fibers, those collagen fibers, have had the chance to organize themselves along the stress lines that they are being subjected to. But if it is a result of a more severe trauma, maybe that spondylolisthesis or that disc bulge or whatever it is, was a trauma, it may just be that it's all been dumped in that area and you haven't really had, and especially if we've been repeatedly re-injuring the area, it will really disrupt it. And it may just be a disorganized mess that is irritating nerves and irritating the surrounding tissues. So um, it, it, it depends again. Okay, awesome. And I think lastly, Cheryl's asked a question here about x-rays and MRIs. Um, are yeah. x-rays enough to show all conditions or are MRIs better? It's quite a big question. That is a big question. <laughs> um, I will do a, a, my best to answer that one in a reasonably succinct manner. Um, x-rays, you do not see the soft tissues. Um, you do not see if the disc has bulged. If we take this example here, you do not see if the disc has bulged that far, that far, or that far. Um, you don't see that. Uh, but in a lot of cases, unless there's no red, apart from if there's red flags, if there are red flags, then that's different, and we've discussed that. Um, if there are red flags, we want to be, we want to treat this slightly differently. But many of you do not have, well, the overall majority of, I'd hope, would not have red flags because you'd be in A&E right now. Um, you wouldn't be, be be speaking to us watching a YouTube video. Um, the MRI shows you that information. It, 
The problem with the MRI is you're lying down, so you have no useful information with regards to understanding the context of the patient. You will see that the ligaments are hypertrophic. You will see that this is hypertrophic. You will see that that's bulging. You will see that there's inflammation here. You will see that there's dehydration of the disc here. But the problem with that is you have no understanding with what to do going forwards. And unless they're going to do a surgical intervention and say, oh, we can see that bit of disc is bulging 20% more than I'd like it to. I'm going to go in and chop it off. Uh, you, you're missing critical information. I suppose the gold standard would be to get both done because one allows you to see those soft tissues. The other allows us to see how that spine weight bears and load bears. And that is much more useful from a point of view of understanding the stresses that this person has been under and the why, and then more importantly, the what we need to do to fix it. Now, you can get standing MRIs done, but diagnostically, the, the information that I just mentioned here becomes less useful because the MRI requires you to be still for an extended period of time, and therefore, you're not going to uh, get as clear an image in someone that's standing for an MRI. So I generally go, personally, much prefer an x-ray because it allows us to be useful for the patient. Generally speaking, when you do the examination, you know fundamentally what is going on in terms of the disc bulge. There is a disc bulge, going to be a disc bulge here or disc dehydration here, etc. because of the provocative testing. So you have an idea, but you don't know why. And if I have an idea, for example, that you've got a disc bulge uh, in the lower back and I send you for an MRI and I go, yep, you've got a disc bulge, I can see it, here it is. I can't make my treatment or my rehabilitation mechanisms any more informed than what they already were. And therefore the MRI hasn't added any value to the care of that patient. Whereas the upright imaging through the x-ray, for example, allows us to go, well, we knew you had a disc bulge. Okay, we can see it's dropped quite a bit or not so much. Well, now we know X, Y, Z, maybe the positioning side of things, we can now tweak and tailor your rehabilitation and get a better understanding of what we need to do to get you doing the right things to resolve this problem for the long term, rather than just seeing those soft tissues. So yes, you do see more information on the MRI lying down, the status of the discs, et cetera, et cetera, but you are, it's not as useful, in my opinion, from a point of view of going forwards with the patient in terms of getting things better. And also sometimes you miss things because if we're looking at things like spondylolisthesis, um, as you lie on your back, if they're mobile, they were sliding forwards uh, like so. As you lie on your back, boom, they're back in place. And now we think it's just a disc bulge when actually it's a disc bulge with a spondylolisthesis, which needs to be considered very, very differently. Okay, wonderful. That was a very short answer to something <laughs> that requires a little bit more explanation, but hopefully that makes a bit of sense. Okay, awesome, brilliant. I think that is everything for today. We've been going for 49 minutes. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's quite a long one. So, a good way I to really finish. Hope it helps. Yeah. So, a good way to finish the week. Hopefully, you guys did find it helpful. And thank you again for all those questions because, again, as I've said before on the live streams, if you didn't ask it, many other people thinking it wouldn't get the answer either. So thank you so much for all of you that come on to the live streams, ask the questions. Hopefully you get the answers that help you better understand your problem and what to do going forward. So it's always appreciated. Uh, as If you are new to the channel and if maybe you've watched this far and you've been with us for the last 45 minutes or so, then do please consider subscribing to the channel. We do these live streams every single weekday. We always do the Q&A because it's our way of helping you guys. Anyone can jump on ask ask those questions and we'll give you our best answers as best we can maybe with some drawings as well to go alongside and if you know anyone else that's had sciatica do please consider sharing this video with them maybe it'll help them stop making those mistakes that we discussed earlier on in the live stream and they can start getting some relief and understand the pathways to recovery so hopefully it's been helpful thank you very much for joining us have a great afternoon have a great weekend and we will see you on monday with another live stream